0: I get the privilege of introducing Ryan Stepp. Um, Ryan and his wife, Sarah, are here, and so, Sarah, glad you could join us. All right, thanks. You can go next slide. What that says is, I'm glad I learned about parallelograms in high school math instead of how to do my taxes because it comes in so handy during parallelogram season. Right? So maybe uh, school didn't prepare us for this part of uh, financial principles and those types of things. So we're gonna talk about some of that stuff tonight. Uh, credit cards, student loans, taxes, those types of things. Um, money, is a medium of exchange. It's an agreed upon item you can use to make a purchase trade or pay off a debt. The medium of exchange differs in different countries. The use of money makes it easier to get what you need, preventing the need of finding a partner to barter with. So an important characteristic about money, though, is money itself is amoral. Money doesn't have a life. It can't act on its own. It can't do good deeds. It can't commit crimes. Basically, it's neither good or bad. Money can only do what we tell it to do, right? So, But it's everywhere, right? Uh, It's in music, I mean, as I did a search, uh, Bing Crosby wrote music, or songs about money, Cindy Lauper, Flying Lizards. Any Flying Lizards fans out there? I'm not sure that was in there, but Pink Floyd, Notorious B.I.G. It's in movies, right? Uh, Wall Street, Pursuit of Happiness, uh, The Big Short, Jerry Maguire, Show Me the Money. It's, I know it's kind of old for 20-somethings, but some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas movies. Uh, and how about Catch Me If You Can?, A true story about Frank Abagnale Jr., who during his youth sees money as hard to earn and he witnesses his father's many techniques for conning people. So before his 19th birthday, he successfully conned millions of dollars worth of checks from Pan Am pretending to be a pilot. He pretended to be a doctor, legal prosecutor. So our upbringing shapes the way we see money. So at your tables with your group, you're gonna talk about your upbringing and how it shaped the way you think about money. So when I was growing up, money was, and you got a few minutes to talk about it and we'll get some of the answers from your tables. Our oldest son was asked, I think he was asked, like, it wasn't even a money question. It was like, what's your family motto? And it was never pay full price for anything. That was the, it was in like sixth grade. It was like, don't ever pay full price. Like, okay. So, I mean, apparently we were teaching something about money. Maybe, maybe even when we weren't realizing it, uh but the point is part of it is there's it 's not uncommon for us not to have some uh, a lot of financial talks about money uh, growing up it 's not uncommon for us to maybe we know what a parallelogram is maybe we don't but why are we ta- why are we talking about money? We talked about a secular definition of money, but we 're in a church, and so when we talk about money in the church we 're talking about money because God talked about money. 16 to 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money or possessions. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the Old Testament deal with biblical stewardship. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with money. And there are more than 2,000 scriptures on tithing, money, and possessions in the Bible, which is twice as many as faith and prayer. So we're going to jump into some of those verses and just kind of see what kind of financial topics uh, are covered in the Bible. So I'm going to go through these fairly quickly for where your treasure is there your heart will be also Luke 12:34 so talking about faith and money Matthew 6:24 no one can serve two masters you will hate one and love the other you can't serve God and money interesting choice there he says two masters God being one of them and the other one was chose was money so faith another faith verse Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up food, choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So financial planning. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Proverbs 27.23 and 24. So managing money and resources. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Proverbs two seven, talking about debt. Proverbs 28, 22, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. Proverbs 11, 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So verses on being charitable. Proverbs thirteen eight: whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. So being financially coachable. Proverbs 22, one: a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So the fact that money is not the best thing. So parables, uh, the parable of counting the cost, Luke fourteen, twenty-eight to 33. I'm just going to read through it here real quick. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. You won't first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be not my disciples. So again, talking about counting the cost, understanding the, the project and whether you're going to be able to complete the project. Uh, so some financial understanding. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 to 30, just a, a summary. Uh, in the parable, Jesus describes a man who goes on a journey entrusting his servants with his wealth and possessions in his absence. To one servant, the master gives five talents. To a second, he gives two talents. And to a third, he gives one talent. Upon his return, two were, two were good stewards of the master's money, investing it in such a way that they, when the master returned, they had handed back double what he had originally given them. And the third servant uh, was not as prudent, just giving the one talent back to the master with no growth. The faithful servants were praised and entrusted with more of the master's wealth, and the servant with one talent was taken... From the ser- that was taken from him and given to the others. The parable is often interpreted as lesson about the importance of wisely using one's God-given talents and resources and not squandering them. Uh, and finally, uh, the last parable that we'll talk about is the prodigal son, Luke uh, fifteen eleven to 32. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off on a distant, to a distant country where he squandered all of his wealth. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. father said to his servants, "'Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. "'Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. "'Bring the fattened calf and kill it. "'Let's have a feast and celebrate, "'for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. "'He was lost and is found. "'Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. "'When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, "'so he called one of his servants and asked, "'What was going on? "'Your brother has come,' he replied, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf "'because he has him back safe and sound. "'The older brother became angry and refused to go in.' So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So, prodigal son frequently is talking about the the sin and and the things and the prodigal son returning and that's us returning to jesus when we've strayed away but there's a money element to it too obviously in that part where he is uh greedy and gluttonous at the beginning and then the the uh brother is jealous and angry due to the money squandered and and the relationship with dad so money matters so we quickly covered some of those verses but are we convinced yet that uh the way we handle money matters to God. He cares about how we steer his blessings because it's all his money, abilities, time, manage them well, use them well, and use them as called, use them to further the kingdom. So, Stana wanted us to cover what biblical finances are not and then a little bit of what they are. So, what they're not, prosperity gospel. So, name it and claim it teaching based loosely on scripture you have not because you ask not it teaches you that if you pray correctly and believe hard enough god will give you all the money your heart desires so we have a personal experience on this we were traveling and we we're in branson and so it's sunday morning and we decide to go to church and we just you know drive by and pick a church and worship time is pretty normal and then it was collection plate time and and, and offering time And there was a lot of, yeah, prosperity gospel, name it, claim it. In fact, take your wallet out right now and start handing money out. And so we're sitting there, and this lady in front of us takes her wallet out and starts handing the kids money. They each got a dollar that day. And we did not say for the message. But not biblical. That's not biblical. That's not where we want to be. Another one. Uh, You've got to be impoverished. You've got to be a monk or a nun. You have to give it all away. Take a vow of poverty to be holy. Based on the, Loosely based on the rich young ruler who Jesus told to sell everything and follow him. Scripture says that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to enter heaven. It presumes that wealthy people cannot possibly be godly. And that's, that's not biblical. So where do we want to be when we're talking money? Money isn't the problem. Like we said, it's amoral and can't do anything on its own. It's our hearts. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 Money is something God trusts us with and expects us to steward in such a way that our lives will be able to point to and honor God. Ultimately, a discussion about money is also a conversation about our hearts. Because there's a direct correlation between the way we handle our money and our faith. So, how do we do it better? If we're going to be able to say that we have been good stewards, if we're going to be God-honoring, then we need to understand money and to learn some basic financial best practices that will ensure we're maximizing our impact and we are achieving our God-honoring mission. So that's going to start with budgeting. And you probably guessed that because of the sheets that you have in front of you. But, uh, any Dave Ramsey uh, followers out there? Dave Ramsey... Uh, financial Peace University Budgeting, Every Dollar Has a Name uh, Eliminate Debt So he's been doing this for 30 years The message hasn't changed The program hasn't changed The financial, financial principles Are quite the same He's helped millions of people change their lives Just because of a daily attention And kind of a baby steps approach To changing your financial habits And ensuring, number one, that your monthly income Has to exceed your monthly expenses so, who has a habit that affects their monthly bottom line? So, that you maybe also don't want to know how much it affects the bottom line, like uh, maybe daily coffee, not packing a lunch when you go to work or to school, eating out in general, maybe it's sports betting, I don't know, shopping. It likely eats more of your income than your realize when we sit down and we put uh, pen to paper and start doing the math. So reviewing where every dollar is spent is going to give you the granular detail necessary to ensure your money is doing what you want it to. So identifying the problem is step one. So grab your sheets. Uh, Let's go slide. A fairly standard 50-30-20 rule. So 50% of your income after taxes income or take home income 50% going to needs 30% going to wants and 20% going to savings retirement tithing and uh, so as you look at your finance sheet you're going to see the top block there is uh, take home pay right and then you're going to start with the big things and fill in needs now Interesting little conversation. We're gonna have a little exercise. We're not gonna to have to sit next to somebody and write everything down in front of everybody. We'll take a little bit of space and do some room so Don't get don't get nervous just yet. But the some of the details are right there in the weeds, right? Uh, transportation. Obviously, we need a way to get around. But what level of transportation do I need? Um, as we do the the financial coaching, uh, we had a, a gentleman who was just. 100% focused on having a car. I have to have a car. I have to have a car. I have to have a car. And he had a car. And he'd done crazy things like getting a co-signer and having his brother co-sign for him. And he didn't have a license and so he shouldn't have been driving a car. And so he did I mean, all these, all these bad decisions just because of that, that focus on that type of transportation. And by the way, he couldn't afford the car. I mean, just all of those things kind of snowballing on it. Financially, and so that's that's the the weed section. I mean, it is can I live close enough to a bus route and and cut my expenses when it comes to transportation, which is ultimately what we recommended for him, and he ended up doing and got away from a massive massive uh, expense that he couldn't afford. So I think most are going to say. Ours is very important, so does it get up in the wants. This is part of it, too, is just understanding, like I said, at a granular level. So you're making an, an intentional choice, an intentional decision on what is moving up and down into those needs and then what is falling into the wants. Maybe it's a want for a period of time also. It could be something that's for six months to help me to get rid of debt or something like that. So, as you see needs, wants, weeds, keep going, and we'll talk about how to fill out your sheet there. Next one. Next slide. Okay, and then tithing and savings. and debt is zero on this, but it's not always zero, and so we have to account for that when it's present. So next slide. Okay, so I just ran an example with a uh, income of $3,000, and so don't if you don't like math, don't freak out just yet. This is fairly simple. For each expense, uh, I used uh, $3,000 for income. And so for all amounts, you're going to take the amount that there is divided by $3,000 and you're going to get .33 for $1,000 and 3000 One, everything's going to be divided by whatever your income is, whatever your take-home pay is and you're gonna fill that out so you also see on your sheets we had a forecast so that's tonight you're guessing you're giving your best guess on what you think that amount is some of you're gonna know right some of them are gonna be uh, a monthly bill that you know but do you really know how much you spend on entertainment and eating out how much you really know how much you spend on uh, a coffee shop visit Multiple times a month. So give that your best guess. Fill all that out and see if, if, if you can you know, got to go to the next slide. Sorry, it used to be on one slide. In my example, in my made up world, I'm over. I'm operating at a deficit right now. So not much. Probably correctable. I'm over by $75. But uh, this is where we can start to talk about. Once I get it on paper, once I figure out where I'm at, I can start talking about what is a what is a one, and what can I eliminate. So, take a few minutes. Filaments spread out, spread out. We don't have to look over your shoulders, but just to see where you're at as you compare the 50, 30, 20 max for housing should be in the 25 to 30 percent range. Uh, max for transportation is in the 15 to 20 percent range so if you're wanting to be conservative you can uh, be on the low ends of those ranges but part of it is where are you at today so that you can start making those decisions so take a few minutes we'll do probably uh, five we talked briefly about debt and debt being there at the bottom and servicing of debt and how much it costs to to service the debt so uh, Let's talk about debt and biblical debt. So God does not forbid debt, but he does highly cautioned against it. So taking on debt, generally a bad thing. You you still want to be cautious when you're considering it. So if you're in debt, prayerfully consider the steps you can take to get out of debt. And uh, especially when it comes to paying off credit cards. As we talked about in Proverbs, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slaves. Of the lender, so maybe that requires a second job uh, in order to get out of debt. I mean, that's a classic Dave Ramsey thing: go deliver pizzas, get a second job to make sure that uh, the, the debt that you have is gone as quickly as possible. So, uh, got a friend that we helped uh, with some financial planning or some financial issues. And student debt—it was very, very interesting. Some of them had massive interest rates. Um, as we sat down, she thought she was going to be paying on the debt—the her student loans—until she was, I think it was like 52 years old, it was 40-ish, 12 more years, and just kind of a lack of financial understanding. But, but I mean, just paying what they told her to pay every month. And sat down and looked at it. Started looking at interest rates as high as thirteen uh, percent. Some of them were as low as two percent, which was good. But attacking those thirteen percenters and, and refinancing, we actually, she'd actually just paid off her car. And we said, and I, we sat down and said, hey, your car loan—if you took out a new car loan—it'd be at four point five percent. So we refinanced her car to pay off some of those high-interest student loans. So. Debt is, is eating away at the money that you're going to have for your wants and needs and your savings. So make sure that you're very, very cautious about debt and uh, slow to take on debt and have a very good plan uh, if you're going to do debt. Slide. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to say this about when you're doing your your uh, financial sheet and your financial budgeting. The opposite is also good. If you're saying, "Hey, what is 25%?" If I say, want to get my rent or my housing down to 25%, then you're going to take whatever your income is times 0.25, the 25%, and it's going to give you the number. In our situation, it'd be 750 bucks. So next slide. So, we'll talk a little bit about debt. File your taxes uh, if you have earned income. Uh, do do a tax return and figure out whether you owe anything to the government. Get in big trouble uh, with the government, but also for, uh, to render to Caesar's. Um, another one is uh, credit rating. So, just talk quickly about that too. Uh, why is it important to have good credit rating? Well, it's biblical to do what you say and uh, just to be upstanding and honest in your handling of money but it also from a financial principle standpoint uh, massively changes your options lower interest rates more options um, whether you're buying a car from you can get a loan from a credit union or say a uh, buy here pay here uh, used car lot that type of thing Uh, different types of uh, types of rental situations are available to you with better credit. So ensuring that you uh, you have good credit's important. So how do we do that? The top two things are payment history and amount owed. So keeping your revolving credit, uh, money that's on credit cards and those types of things, money that you owe someone else, low paying all of your things on time uh, is gonna allow your credit rating to stay high and, and have positive options when it comes to borrowing money. A couple of final things. If you're struggling with this stuff and this problem, you're not alone. So that's comforting, right? Student loan debt is $1.75 trillion. It's at an all-time high. Credit card debt also at an all-time high, $1 trillion, with an average interest rate of 23%. All all all-time highs. And maybe it's because we're Americans and even the government doesn't know what they're doing, right? Uh, Current U.S. debt is $34 trillion and running at a deficit of $2.5 trillion a year. In a matter, it's less than a year, that the servicing on the debt is going to be over a $1 trillion a year just paying the interest on this $34 trillion loan. So astronomical numbers, but these are the things that's uh, Christians, I think we need to understand and the financial uh, bring our financial awareness up for ourselves, for the communities that we're in, the, the state, the, the country, and it should uh, affect the way we way we vote in order to uh, make sure that our country is also doing things financially soundly. So Warren Buffett said, "Extraordinary results don't require extraordinary effort." You just need to excel in the everyday, ordinary things. Okay, So it's not, it's not some cosmic math problem. It's just knowing what you're spending your money on and making sure that your expenses are not greater than your income. Uh, Ronald Reed, a retired gas station attendant and janitor from Vermont, uh, didn't make a ton of money in his lifetime, but uh, when he passed away in 2015, he had a, a, an estate worth $8 million dollars. The lesson's clear: wealth creation doesn't always necessitate extraordinary efforts. It calls for discipline, patience, and a commitment to the financial fundamentals. Money can be a tool used to honor God and to further the kingdom, and that's what we're looking for. So, last point: Proverbs fifteen twenty-two. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And Proverbs twenty eighteen. Plans are established by seeking advice. So, the other sheet that's on your table is an opportunity to sign up for financial coaching. The Care Ministries team has a a group of financial coaches that are available. um, If you would like to talk to one of them, if you don't feel comfortable writing your name and number and email or whatever on a sheet, you can uh, email jminnick at uh, pleasantmalley.org in order to get that uh, message to folks. But uh, we're trying to get rid of the the uh, perception that talking about finances is a bad thing. If you put your name down, you know, maybe we're talking about mortgages, maybe we're talking about loans, maybe we're talking about car loans, maybe we're talking about student loans, or whether I should buy a house or not buy a house, or invest in my company's employee stock purchase program, or 401K, whatever. All of those financial questions are answerable uh, in this, uh, by, by the financial coaches that we talk about. Budgeting is the primary thing that they do, but there's a lot of uh, that, uh, that work with the financial team. So you can sign up there. Um, there's also links. You guys are much better at the technology side. Uh, NerdWallet has a really good uh, budget spreadsheet that's out there. Google Docs has one as well. Uh, and so if you want that information, uh, Jay's got it and he can give it to you for that too. But. Appreciate the opportunity. Do you have any questions? Yeah, so student loans. Uh, it's kind of the drug dealer, the first hits free, right? They don't look at your credit history. They just say, hey, here's some loans. And the they're not all the same, which is really interesting, right? So you fill out the FAFSA and you get the information back and you qualify for all these loans, right? And you just say, hey, yes, give me some money. Right, The low interest subsidized portion of the loan is the smallest one, right? And it maxes out at $5,500 a, uh, $5, a year, right? And that's 5.5% interest you pay on that. If you need more than $5,500, and I don't even know if everybody qualifies for that uh, subsidized portion of the loan, but the next one is called a direct unsubsidized loan. In a direct unsubsidized loan, the interest rate is the same, But the time that you're going to college, it accrues interest every month, every year that you have the loan that you're in college. And it's not subsidized. It just gets added to whatever your initial amount was. The first one, the first little $5,500 loan that you took out, is subsidized, and those interests are paid, that interest is paid by the Department of Education. So, interesting. And then you get the big bill at the end of the, you get out of college, six months later you have to start paying on it. So, like I said, prioritizing which loan to be paid, super important as you go through that. There's another layer called a direct plus loan, 8% plus a 4% fee, so now we're at 12%. starting to get pretty pretty high and uh, challenging to pay off, and then there's something called a direct consolidation loan, which is kind of after the fact, after you started paying them back you can kind of consolidate but really just kind of a shotgun approach on student loans but just know that all student loans aren't created equal and there's some that I maybe am more interested in pursuing and some I would like to avoid so that's what I'm kind of talking about as you look at expenses I would like to stay out of the direct unsubsidized loan range as much as I can and if I have to take on debt for student loans. I'd want to be in that subsidized area if at all possible. Any other topics? But I, will, I will throw one more because we've had this the last three financial coaches we've had. The credit rating thing is huge. Uh, we If you don't have credit to buy a car in a normal fashion you're gonna get absolutely punched in the gut. So uh, first of all the, the buy here pay here uh, used car lots, the worst, the worst types of people you've ever met. It's 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 actually super fascinating that if you wanted a legislative priority and you knew a legislator to take something up, this is my new number one. Because first of all, you're getting a car you, because you don't have any options. My credit is bad. I have to go to you. If I want a car, I have to go to you. And so that's a terrible situation to be in, right? And they take advantage of that terrible situation. So let's just say a van, a minivan that's worth $12,000, they're gonna start out charging you $15,000 because you can't comparison shop, right? And then they're gonna charge you 23% interest, which sounds astronomical because it is. And at the end of four years, $12,000 minivan, you're going to end up paying $35,000 and you can't get out of it and that's what we we encounter and by the way, it's not uncommon for that car to have a problem very, very soon after you purchase it because they know and they don't care and you don't have any options and so terrible, terrible kind of debt spiral, credit rating spiral to be in and a life-changing you're making life-changing you have life-changing problems because of that terrible situation, situation that you're in, and uh, uh, one of the people we we counseled, they their car was a lemon, understandably, right? And so they took it back, and I can't even believe this is legal. But they take the car that they sold you a week ago or two weeks ago. And they'll say, "Yes, we'll take it back." Here's another car, but they take the loan from the first car and they pile it on the second. So now you owe thirty thousand dollars on a twelve thousand dollar car. It's it's the worst of the worst of the worst. These are just kind of my gotchas. So if you follow any real estate agents or anything, some of them have been throwing out the uh, date the rate and marry the home. Have you seen that one? That little advertisement, date the rate, marry the home. The assumption of that statement is the rate is going to go down sometime in the future, which maybe happens, hopefully happens, but. You need to plan to pay that amount the entire the entire loan to marry the home. Another one that I've seen is: uh, Would you rather pay fifty thousand dollars over asking price, or, or and have that three percent interest, or just have the house that you have now and pay or make an offer now and you don't have to pay fifty thousand over, but the interest rate's a little bit higher? Well, there's a math problem for that, and the tipping point's somewhere around thirty thousand, three hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is kind of the median house. Cost in in So it actually tips, it would actually be better to pay $50,000 over asking price and have the 3.25% interest rate. Um, So just an awareness of those things. The big, uh, back in 2008 2009, the big mortgage crisis and mortgage crunch was related to folks not qualifying for. They couldn't take out the entire amount for the mortgage in their mortgage loan. And they would take adjustable rate mortgages in addition to their their mortgage, uh, which would be a a second loan on the house, right? And then interest rates went up, and all those adjustable rate loans are adjustable, and they adjust up. And they're on a five-year note, so they go up, and they go up pretty quickly, and that... That priced people out of the market and they lost their homes like crazy because of a lack of financial understanding. We're not going to necessarily explain all of the uh, adjustable rates and how they work and what to avoid, but just know that if someone's pitching you something of, oh no, this is a really, this is what everybody's doing. Everybody was doing it. Everybody was was taking an unbelievable financial risk. And they were running right up to, you know, not necessarily following 50, 30, 20, going above, above 33% uh, of their income. And uh, and just, I mean, losing a house is a big deal and it's an emotional event and it destroys your credit and it makes it challenging to, to rent and it makes it challenging to get car loans. And those, so avoiding that's a big deal. Uh, they're going up to 40 year mortgages now, right? That didn't used to be a thing. Uh, I ran some numbers on a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Uh, you're paying twenty five thirty one a month, two thousand five hundred thirty one dollars a month, but it's paying off in fifteen years. If you go to thirty years, it's only eighteen hundred a month. And if uh, in that same time frame in a fifteen year, uh, oh yeah, who knows about amortization? Anybody? So if I pay for 50, if I pay for now thirty-year note, if I pay for fifteen years of my house, my three hundred thousand dollars house, I'm going to owe one hundred and fifty thousand dollars after fifteen years, right? No, nope, not even close. In that situation, you still owe two hundred fifteen thousand dollars, right? Because you pay the bank first. It's front loaded. To interest for the first 15 years and then it starts to be you pay down the loan really in the, in the second 15 years so people who buy a new house every seven years or eight years or 10 years aren't paying down the principal that's the, the amount that you're wanting to go down how much you owe the bank it's not going down very quickly at all so some of it's just the nugget of of information to go out and 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 win in some of these situations